Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. All winter long, we've been reporting that the Mets would prefer not to exceed the $210 million luxury tax threshold. And we've also been reporting that connected to that, they're probably not likely to sign Trevor Bauer. Steve Cohen himself has said publicly that this is probably not or might not be the winner where they cross that luxury tax line. But he never said it definitively, and we've always allowed room for, hey, you never know, he's a new owner that we're covering. Things could change. Well, it's feeling now that as the offseason is getting later, George Springer's off the board, and the market for all players is becoming more clear, that we should not rule out the Mets doing either thing, signing Bauer or just crossing the luxury tax threshold, which they would have to do in order to sign him. They could still go small from here on out, fill other needs, left-handed reliever, center fielder, possible corner outfielder, but they could clear up some payroll by trading Steven Matz, offer Bauer, say, in the neighborhood of $30 million a year for a couple of years, see if he'll take the shorter-term deal. Could it work? Look, I'm not going to say it's likely at this point, but I'm ready to speculate that it might be more likely than we had previously thought. Sal, you've been very vocal how upset you've been that the Mets didn't spin over the luxury tax to sign George Springer. So if they did this deal for Trevor Bauer, would it soften the blow for you? Yeah, let me be clear. I don't care about the luxury tax. I'm not saying they should go over it. I'm not saying that they have to. I care about bringing in good players. And I'm tired of the quantity instead of quality. This should be where they're looking to bring in quality players. George Springer would have been atop my list in the offseason. They obviously chose differently. 
fine, go get Trevor Bauer. To me, Springer would have put them over the top as far as the lineup goes. Bauer puts them at that next level as far as the rotation goes. So if they can somehow get that done, and we know they have the money, so it's a matter of will. How much are they going to be able to want to do this? Steve Cohen has the money to do it. If they don't want to go over the luxury tax, then they have to figure out a way to get creative, trade mats, or figure out to move another part or so. But I'm looking to get this team to the next level to compete legitimately for a World Series. And if you're not going to do it with the lineup, which they didn't with Springer, then do it with the rotation. Bauer's clearly the best player available. Go get him. With DeGrom and Bauer at the top of the rotation in the National League. Uh, you'd have a hard time finding a better rotation. I mean, you could throw in, obviously, Carrasco and Stroman as well, but one-two punch, it does not get much better than that. And that, to me, is why it takes it to the next level. I don't think it's a need. I wasn't interested in Bauer, but if you're not going to do it with the lineup, then take the rotation to the next level. That's what would happen if you add Bauer behind DeGrom. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, January the 24th, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Well... Uh, welcome to another edition of the podcast, and I think we're chock full of stuff to talk about, so we're going to get into the hot stove, and there was some interesting developments that came down from Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic on Friday night. Uh, we're going to get a little bit into the Mets front office and what's going to happen next. It looks like there's a little bit of information coming out there. And the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame vote will be announced. We have a lot to talk about there, and joining me... After I give you my Hall of Fame vote, joining me will be uh, America's most beloved sports writer. He's over at Ball 9, Kevin Kernan. We haven't had a chance to talk to Kevin for quite some time, and uh, I'm looking forward to checking in with him. And not only will we talk about his Hall of Fame vote, but he has a great piece over at Ball 9. The sad news came down over the weekend that the the great Hank Aaron passed away, and uh, some many believe... He's the actual home run king, has a ton of great stories, great career. Kevin was able to fish out of his archive a conversation that he had with Hank about 20 years ago, and uh, maybe we'll get a brief uh, thought about Hank Aaron and the passing of Hank Aaron from from Kevin Kernan when he joins us in just a little bit. But, you know, after our emergency podcast, and what a wild week. Uh, At this time last week, we were trying to figure out Can the Mets afford George Springer? Should they afford George Springer? And everything gets thrown into topsy-turvy on Monday with the whole Jared Porter fiasco and scandal. Now the Mets front office has to be realigned. Springer goes to Toronto, a horrible 36 hours in the Mets world, and uh, obviously creates controversy and dissension amongst the fans, arguing about the situation, everybody making their jokes. And uh, it looked like... Where the Mets were going to go after this was 
take a pause, take a step back. Not going to try to address the front office vacancy, but focus on depth. Go out. Maybe the big splash would be Brad Hand. I know he's still out there. Focus on some pieces like an Albert Mora Jr. or Jackie Bradley Jr. Who Jackie Bradley Jr. wants to get a multi-year deal. I mean, Boris pulls that off. Jeez, he smells of a one-year deal guy. But anyway, trying to find some run prevention pieces. They can't get a Brad Hand. Maybe they go Justin Wilson or Jake McGee. Or I heard Oliver Perez's name out there. Mets were going to round out the roster, give themselves some financial flexibility against the luxury tax, and see where they're at, and away you go. And 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 I, what's funny is, the starting pitching market, after that Corey Kluber deal, I said this a week ago, go back and listen to that podcast last Sunday. I said, this is not going to go well for the Mets now that Kluber got $11 million deal. You're going to have to rely more on the Jared Eikhoff type of non-roster invitees for pitching depth. And sure enough, uh, you're seeing that right away. Now, yeah, Lester got $5 million, but um, Garrett uh, Richards, $10 million? Garrett Richards hasn't had a 30-start season since 2015. Garrett Richards' last real good season. Now, he's had some good stretches over the last five years, but he's been hurt. But his last good season was 2015, when the Mets were on their way to the World Series, which seems like eons ago. Eons ago. And, uh, yeah, I already had a nice, you know, stint with the Padres in uh, the pandemic season. But, again, and we'll get into that with, uh, uh, with, with the news that came down on Friday, with Trevor Bauer potentially being back on the Mets' radar, uh, you can't say the pandemic season doesn't count for one, but it counts for another. That's kind of how the, well, that's kind of how it goes. But I have not, and you go, could go back to the start of the offseason. I said, yeah, three big free agents Real Muto, Bauer, Springer. I had no, not that I had no interest in Springer. That was not the priority. I was okay with Nimmo in center field. I knew you had Conforto and Conforto's contract coming up. Uh, at the time, you still had Cano, so Mc, McNeil was your left fielder. Uh, I'm okay. I know the Mets aren't necessarily okay with it. I'm okay with Dom Smith and left. And, uh, you know, when they lost Cano's bat, I said, all right, you might need another bat. Now, they've addressed it with Lindor because I was very comfortable with going with a defensive-minded shortstop in Jimenez. So now you've addressed that where you, in theory, now have great defense and great offense at short. So maybe you could go more defensive-minded in center field. Move Nim on the left. If you want to go Jackie Bradley Jr. on a short-term contract, so be it. Albert Amora. I said, hey, go with Jake Marisnik um, and some kind of lefty platoon in center field. I like Jake Marisnik. He's a good defensive player. Seems to hit lefties. You know, maybe I don't think Jackie Bradley Jr. wants to platoon, but I think he, he does need to sit against left-handers. Uh, I know you got uh, uh, Heredia still on the roster. I don't know what he's all about. You know, he was a a scrap heap pickup, but you could figure that out. If you want to go that route with the offense, that's fine. I'm not going to go crazy. Now, look, the Real Muto market is starting to crash. Maybe there's some buyer's remorse on McCann. You can't wait. The Mets could not wait this entire offseason waiting for the, the bottleneck of free agency with the top players to work itself out. The only way they were going to get it solved is by overpaying. They weren't willing to do that, and and that's where you're at. So, that goes back to Bauer. That was the guy I said. You could bring him in. You can invest in him. 
I said a Patrick Corbin type type deal, six years, $140 million. I believe that's what he's worth. That's where his comps are worth. That's where he's going to wind up. I would be very comfortable with that. Yes, I know it risks no deal for Stroman after the season. Yes, I know it risks no deals for Syndergaard over this, uh, after the season. You have DeGrom, which you have to worry about is a lot, uh, uh, opt-out in a couple of years. So maybe this is a hedge on that. You can kind of look and see how things go. But um, it, it just didn't seem to be in, in the realm of possibility. And then you heard all sorts of things about him wanting to uh, potentially go out there and break the uh, average annual value record, wants more money than Cole. Well, look, you know, if you want to do that in a year or two-year deal, that's fine. But, you know, now after listening, and, th- and then, of course, you got Carrasco. I mean, let me not forget Carrasco. So when Carrasco came in, I was like, all right, let's take a step back on all this. Now, the fact of the matter is, and I see a lot of people say, well, why would the Mets get reengaged in Bauer if they weren't in Springer? And is that the agent trying to drag them back in, which is a very fair point. But I think it's different because of a couple of things. One, Bauer's willing to get creative with a contract. He said that. Bauer has prioritized winning and being with an organization that allows him to do his routine, which at times is outside of the box of baseball, although I think his driveline type of methods are not as out of the box as they were just a couple of years ago. And he's also, in the past, said he's open to a shorter-term deal. Or, as his agent has said, a shorter-term deal. is All types of deals are on the table. It's not that he wants one or the other, but that he's open to a type of deal. I don't know if Springer was, and that's a whole different situation. I also don't know if the Mets won't go over the luxury tax for the right situation. It sounds like the Mets' real issue is not the luxury tax. It's being able to build out their roster over the next few years, especially with some of their big names potentially hitting free agency. Just like with Springer, where I said it's a hedge your bet for Conforto leaving, because I don't think Conforto's going to be an easy sign. Maybe DeGrom won't be an easy sign in a couple of years. You don't know. I don't know enough about DeGrom. There is definitely an opt-out on the table. He definitely deferred. I mean, it's a fact. He deferred a ton of money on this contract. Uh, he signed a very team-friendly deal. Uh, credit maybe Brody Van Wagenen for that. He was just out of CAA when he took over, and he was able to get that done. But I'm sure no one, no one's twisted the Grom's arm, so you know he's got to take accountability. Now he got rid of his agent, so that tells you maybe he's not happy. But we don't know. But there's also Bauer would be a hedge your bet. Now a lot of people are saying, well, Bauer is a bad fit. Forget the off the field. I'll get to that last because that's really agitating. Bauer is not the fit that you think because. The 2020 pandemic season was an outlier, and it certainly was. But he is, in the last five years since 2015, he's top 15 in Fangraph's wins above replacement. So you're bringing in a top 15 pitcher. Better than Syndergaard, actually. Slightly better, but better. In 2018, or since 2018, he's been number six overall. So you're not bringing in a guy. Now, is Zach Wheeler in those those type of numbers? Because you could parse out... Zach Wheeler that way, sure. And if Steve Cohen on the Mets a year earlier, I might be more inclined to be okay with the Wheeler contract. At that point, you had Wilpon ownership. You were like, you can't invest in Wheeler with his health issues for a long term. The Mets were in a different way of building their team under Wilpon ownership. You had to look at things differently. You had to advocate for different things. And, and, and that's always been my thing. Okay, Wheeler contract now, not so bad, but... You know, you're looking at it from a totally different situation. So 
Um, he can be on a short-term deal, kind of what you would have expected from Wheeler. And I, and I think better. And I think he's a better bet to stay healthy. His training methods, which were controversial, have been proven right, have helped him. There are many people advocating for him. Um, it is unique. They say he's not coachable. Well, he's taking control of his own career. Do you know how many coaches and organizations have ruined players in a, over the over the course of the history of baseball? And now it's it's whether you like some of them or not, some of them are ridiculous. And I don't think that the the perfect game circuit does kids any justice. But you know, look, you can't say he's uncoachable. Because he wants to take control of his own career. That's the right thing to do. Because nobody cares about your career. And nobody wakes up in the morning about your, thinking about your career but you. No team, no coach, no agent. It, only as long as they need you. That's how they think about you. College coaches, whatever. Yes, he had the immature behavior. He threw the ball over the fence. I saw the video. He took accountability for it. I mean, he's done a couple of videos this offseason talking about he was wrong. He talked about the leadership of Lindor, the leadership of Carrasco when he was, you know, batting his eyes at the Mets. You know, it's kind of funny. He's had a couple of Mets videos this offseason. So clearly there's interest. I mean, I know he's done other videos and he's talked about other organizations. The Angels are, are another organization that he's thrown out there. Uh, but, you know, again, it goes back to what I said earlier in the week when we had our, pro, uh, our program on Tuesday. Can anybody evolve, make a mistake? You know, you all in the media, you all on social media, are so quick to get people fired, are so quick to tar and feather people. You're so quick to think that you know everybody on your 40-man roster. You don't know these guys. You don't know who Dom Smith is. You love Dom Smith, and it looks like he's a great guy. You have no idea who Dom Smith is. You want to go through every person's Twitter feed or every person's social media from back at the beginning of time, you'll find something that bothers you. And by the way, I could do it to all of you. And you could probably do it to me, and I could do it to people in the media, male and female. I could do it to all of you. Believe me. So be careful before you throw stones when you live in glass houses. Now, the same media that complains uh, about Bauer and being a little out of the box when it comes to his social media are the same media that praises when Aaron Boone is caught cursing on a hot mic. That's the same thing. He's called a misogynist, Bauer. Here it is. He has a female agent. He's basically giving this woman a start in the game because to be certified, you need someone on a 40-man roster. I know that because I know agents. So that's a big help. Oh, well, that's his girlfriend. Well, that's his business. It's our business. Is that is that going to uh, be a conflict at some point with other uh, players? Maybe. Let her worry about that. Not you. It's not your business. By the way, Scott Boris has plenty of conflicts without having a relationship because he sometimes represents one, two, or three in the market for the same position. There's tons of conflicts there. So why don't you worry about yourself? And, you know, as far as the whole Twitter situation, going back, I have no idea what happened with the Daily News reporter. If, If people were saying things about race and religion to her... Because of Bauer, that's not good. I'm not saying it's good. But just like I or you can't control whoever's following you, and the fact that Ken Davidoff is demanding that Bauer block anybody that's ever said anything negative to a woman or a minority who is on his Twitter feed is absurd. That's taking Twitter way too seriously. You cannot control who follows you. Just because someone follows me 
and likes this show, that does not mean that everything about them represents me. Just like they can't control who delivers my mail. They don't know. Do you, do you know everybody who watches the Mets when they walk? Should the Mets now scrub everybody's Twitter feed before they come watch a Met game when City Field reopens up? Now, going after the other woman in 80 tweets because she criticized him, again, it's not a crime. I don't think he did anything wrong. He didn't say anything inappropriate. It's just weird. And it's probably, a, it's not probably, it is a waste of his time. But since when is any of this stuff illegal? And since when any of this stuff should be connected to the Mets? By the way, Ken Davidoff, who is a complete Yankees lover, watch any of his articles. There's two things you know about Ken Davidoff of the Post. He loves COVID, to talk about COVID, and he loves the Yankees. Makes no bones about it. He tries to hide it, no bones about it. Loves talking about COVID. I mean, I was like, at one point, Ken, hey, by the way, can you talk baseball? I get it. COVID's here. I get it. Um, is Domingo Herman going to be able to come back? Uh, by, by your standards? And he admits in the article that he was okay with Jose Reyes. So we're picking winners and losers now, which is what the media does, which is what they did during sign stealing, which is what I didn't want them to do during the Porter case. And then the Porter case, he did it was cut and dry, and he lost his job. But be careful, because, you know, I'm just going to tell you guys this. Twitter's not the real world, and a very small percentage of people are on Twitter. And by the way, there's a smaller percentage of people who are Mets fans that get involved in the blogs that we talk about, podcasts like this. There's a large percentage, if not a majority, a very overwhelming majority. And Len Berman, who who I've interacted with on Twitter, has said this many times. Most sports fans are more on the casual side than they are like what we do here. And... What you're trying to do is sway public opinion on a very minor issue. Because for whatever reason, this is the new hot button topic. Because you guys want to be the saviors of some kind of equality situation. And I'm telling you another thing. And this doesn't impact me because I don't base this show on any kind of Zoom interview, any kind of clubhouse access. Believe me, I've been in a couple of clubhouses. Not a lot, but I've been. It's not fun standing around waiting for quotes. The scrum is not fun. You get over seeing Noah Syndergaard in person. Believe me, you get over it as a job real quick. Ask anybody who does it. But what the writers are doing is they're flushing their own careers because by picking and choosing and going after every little thing and finding the banana peel for people to slip on, they're flushing themselves where they're going to be on Zoom forever, pandemic or not. They're never going to get players' numbers anymore. Players are only going to want to be in the scrum. Players are only going to want to give them their feel. Teams are going to start setting up their own house reporters. They're already doing it. Players like are going to do more what Bauer does, which is say, I'm taking care of this. I don't need John Heyman. I don't need Rosenthal. I don't need these guys to be my mouthpiece about my free agency. Now, not everybody wants to do it. Not everybody's good at it. Not everybody believes in it, but they're going to do it. And if you noticed, this offseason, there's less rumor mongering than there's ever been before. And I think a lot of it is they're taking power and control back, and it's all because of this, because you cannot trust the media, especially a new media that has a lot of young people virtually out of school that, quite honestly, are not adults yet and don't have the ability and the capacity to handle the power of the position. There's plenty that do. They come on this show. But there's a lot that don't. Not saying what Trevor Bauer did was good, but I'm not ready to not sign him or not have him earn a a living because somebody who followed him went after a person that criticized him that he responded to. 
Same on the other thing. And I think he had a good response. Hey, I'm trying to do better on social media. I mean, just it's guys, it's not worth it. It's not worth going back at people. You know, when people take shots at me, I go back once in a while here and there, throw a little dig. You know, always like something with humor, nothing below the belt. Plenty below the belt has been said to me, but it's not worth it. And if you go on social media or if you are a journalist, male, female, whatever, and you can't take criticism or you believe that you will be absolved from ever having someone say something nasty or below the belt, then it's not the job for you. It's not right. It's called life. It's not the job for you. And I love how it's the Mets and Trevor Bauer that now are exactly the ones that are being picked because I have a feeling if it was the other way around with the Yankees were doing it, not sure it'd be the same thing. There are still members of the media with their Yankee hats in the closet that aren't quite comfortable with the fact that the Mets have taken the back pages away from their beloved Yankees. Believe me, they were much more comfortable with the old setup. This is a new setup. And also, and one last thing before we take a break, and I've went longer on this than I should, whatever happened at point seventy-two, which none of you know about, which is corporate... You know, sometimes corporate settlements are not because of right and wrong. It's because it's cheaper. Has nothing to do with the Mets now. Steve Cohen owes you nothing about point seventy-two. By the way, he owes you nothing about his current business. The only thing he owes you is your relationship with the New York Mets. So get it out of your head if you're a member of the media, where all of a sudden now you're going to go back and bother this guy. First of all, he doesn't care. He's had the FBI come after him. A lot scarier than you, anybody from the Daily News or anybody from the New York Post or whatever. There's no, believe me, he's not worried about you. Believe me. FBI coming after you with cuffs to do the, the perp walk, a lot scarier than the New York Daily News getting angry about you signing Trevor Bauer. Trust me. Trust me on that. And I said it at the beginning of the offseason, and I'll say it again. This would be a perfect fit. It would be a dynamic rotation, and the Mets need an arm. Maybe they don't need Bauer. I'm not saying they have to have Bauer. But the Mets need an arm because right now you're all banking on Noah Syndergaard coming back being Noah Syndergaard, who, by the way, hasn't been as good as Bauer when you do those advanced breakdowns over the last five years. And that's no guarantee. Look at Zach Wheeler's return from Tommy John. I don't care what people say, head, behind, whatever. And you have Peterson, who we don't know how he's going to handle a full season. And Mats has been very, very much a wild card and more bad than good over the last few years. So you need another arm. And you look at the market, if Richards is getting $10 million, you want to do a short-term deal if Bauer's willing to for three years, $75 million, or three years, $90 million, maybe do something like that, or do one year, $35, 37000000 million? I would. All right, let's take a quick break. When I return, uh, Mets front office, how's that shaping up? We'll talk about that and more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silver, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. So the Mets need a GM. It doesn't look like it's going to happen this offseason. But right now, the new 
the man from the media. And I, Kevin Kernan's got a new term, media in power. That's the new thing. I love it. It's great. Kevin always has some good stuff. We'll we'll bring that up. But the new demand is that the Mets have a diverse front office. They did not ask women about Jared Porter. Okay, I guess now we have to ask everybody going back to grammar school how that person is before they get hired because what you did is sticks to you forever because everybody's perfect that throws stones. And Zach Scott and the Mets front office is too white, too male-dominated, not diverse enough. Okay, and I said this on Twitter. I'm going to say this again. There's nothing wrong with diversity. You should have a diverse front office. But the Mets' goal should be to pick the right front office and the right people. And by the way, diversity is not just race and and, uh, gender. It's thought. And some of the progressive baseball blogs out there are not diverse in thought at all. As a matter of fact, journalism has become quite ageist. Look at what happened at the Daily News, all the experienced writers being thrown to the side. Look at how guys like Bill Madden and guys like that who have been on this show, some of the longtime journalists, Bob Ryan, sometimes you know Peter Gammons, who sometimes have archaic ways, I know, from the New Age standpoint of looking at things. Look at how they're attacked. Look at how people have attacked over the Hall of Fame vote because you don't use analytics. That's not tolerance. That's not diversity. So all I'm going to say about the Martino column over at SMY if they they love Zach Scott, it sounded like. I heard Zach Scott on the Fine Sim podcast. Numbers guy. Comes from a numbers background. Comes from a fantasy baseball background. Clearly the guy to help get the Mets to where they want to be, to be one of the top teams when it comes to assessing uh, players on new age metrics and new age techniques through data. No doubt about it. Doesn't, you know, uh, his personality was... You know, it was basic when I heard him on the Fine Sim podcast. Can he handle the media here in this town? I mean, who knows? You have to definitely handle them. Uh, can he be a dynamic speaker? Didn't come across like that. He's not a salesman. Uh, maybe that's not what they want. You know, that's certainly a component of being a GM, being able to disseminate the message. Uh, Sandy does it pretty well now. I don't think he did it great all the time his first tenure. And, um, you know, look, if if there's a woman, if there's a minority, I mean— uh, Billy Owens, guy from Oakland, was one of the names I said. You know, I heard him on the Fine Sim podcast. Has minor league experience. Grew up in the Oakland organization. He would be fine with me. I said before they hired Jared Porter, throw a, a, these guys' names in a hat. They all come from the same mold. Teams that had to do more with less. That have to uh, that embrace analytics. Some of them, like Owens, actually played the game. Porter didn't, but he had a scouting background. Uh, Zach Scott has not. So I mean, for me, what is diversity? Diversity in thought and experience. If that means you're African American, if that means you're a woman, if that means you're white, I don't care. And if the Mets pander to the media and just bring someone in, they also interviewed Michael Hill, who was African American, by the way, and Derek Jeter fired. Um, if they want to bring him in, or that woman, and that's the right fit, fine. If they're doing it to make the media be quiet, so they get a nice column from a 20-something-year-old New York Daily News writer who's probably not going to be at the New York Daily News when they go out of business in a couple of years. Uh, That's the wrong way to go about it. So, you know, to me, that's all I'm going to say about the whole front office situation. It's Alderson. It looks like Alderson's looking for some kind of mentor for Scott. It looks like they feel they need to mentor Scott and Porter when Porter was here. And that's fine. That's a good way of building. It's a very corporate way of going about it, and I'm sure that has the Cohen influence 
And Sandy's a great mentor, and Billy Epler was well-respected with the Yankees, and I know things didn't work out with him uh, for him as a GM. Uh, but at some point, you got to be an adult, and if you want to be a big boy and you want to be a GM, grow up and step up and do the job, and you don't have to have 52 different people come in and hold your hand. Because last I looked, Frank Cashin was a newspaper man, and he took the Baltimore position, and he became a great GM for that time. And I don't know how many people, I mean, he had mentors read his book, but, you know, it wasn't this, like, elaborate corporate structure. Sometimes we get really carried away in that. But I don't want to hear about diversity. Affirmative action is a slap in the face to people who are qualified. And what happens is, is they get the job and people think it's a political appointment and they never get the credit that's due. They should they should not want it. More, But, you know, obviously, that's not necessarily the medium power. I'm going to steal that from Kevin. Doesn't necessarily agree, agree with me on that. All right, let's take a quick break. Hall of Fame talk right after this. Doc Gooden had many classic outings as a member of the Mets. What was his best? We asked the man himself when he joined me on the Talking Mets podcast. I think it was 85. I was in L.A. Um, I think the score was 2 nothing or 3 nothing, And Gary Carter was catching me. I didn't throw a breaking ball into the seventh inning. And I remember the ninth inning, I got a couple of guys... Might have been a base load. He got on a couple guys got on base, and they had three lefties coming up. I think I struck two of them out, and then I think Terry Whitfield popped up in the game. I thought that was my best game. You know, looking back at it, just the top of my head. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. All right, we're back. And before I get to Kevin Kernan of Ball 9, I wanted to briefly, and I'm going to try to make this as succinct and clear and concise because I know I could be wordy as possible. So I could give you my Hall of Fame ballot, and we could set it up so that when Kevin comes on, we hear his point of view, and then you, the listener, can make your own decision. And you could email at me at mikesilvatttalkingmetspodcast.com, no G, if you have an issue or something egregious or you want to make a point. Uh, we're really up against, I don't know if I can keep this an hour, So, because uh, Kevin's. I, I assume Kevin's going to go long, and I anticipated that. I was trying to make the intro shorter, and then all this stuff came out. I wasn't going to go as long, and then all this stuff has come out over the next, over the last, uh, you know, 24 to 48 hours, and, and it just went longer. So uh, if, you, if you're okay with me going over, I'm probably going to go over about 15 minutes or so, but, you know, so be it. If you have a complaint, you know the email address. All right. How, I do not have a vote. I'm not going to lobby for a vote. I understand the politics of that. Does it matter? Okay. Um, how do I vote for the Hall of Fame? So I have evolved, just like I said. You can evolve. I look back at the way I looked at things maybe 10, 15 years ago, and I certainly uh, – it needed work. Now, we have a lot more information in front of us now than we did 10, 15 years ago. The foundation of how I look at Hall of Famers was, of course, the basic stuff, total numbers and benchmarks. 3,000 hits, 500 home runs, 300 wins. Much harder now because some of those have become commoditized in the case of home runs. 300 wins is very difficult in a bullpen era. Uh, 3,000 hits, still achievable, but may require longevity and doesn't always indicate a Hall of Famer. It could just mean longevity. A period of dominance, preferably a decade, and I used to say for the entire sport, but I think you also now have to look at positions differently so we'll look at that for now precedent i used to be big on precedent once bill mazeroski gets in the hall of fame 
that's a bar that now everybody who's equal or better needs to be in the Hall of Fame. This is a fallacy. I, I kind of like to use it, but I'm much more careful because I'm not going to punish the Hall of Fame and start letting very good players in because of a mistake. Bill Mazeroski is basically Frank White, Bill Doran, Robbie Thompson statistically. Gold, I didn't see him play. Had the historic moment for the Pirates in the World Series. Uh, you know, Gold Glover. But, um, you know, he's a below-league average hitter, and, and that to me is not a Hall of Famer. Uh, and then there's the historic moment. Maris home run record, World Series moment like Jack Morris. I like to factor that in. That's not a data-driven thing. That's a feel. Notice I didn't say anything about character. That's not part of the Mike Silva ballot. I'm just looking at them as baseball players. But I have evolved. So now I'm looking at a couple of things. First, I like to look at players being more complete on both sides of the ball. They don't have to be a five-tool player. They don't have to be a gold glover. But I don't like them to be too one-dimensional. I don't trust UZR. I will use some advanced metrics when it comes to offense, but UZR and defensive metrics, I'm, I try to do a little bit more research on that. I'm trying to evolve from not just using war and OPS plus uh, at baseball reference. I've incorporated fan graphs in a lot more. I think they do some nice things. Run creation, the WRC plus is a big one now because I think that at least tells you where they stand as an offensive player because the defense can really drag some of these guys back. Uh, it basically, and for those that don't know, uh, and there's some that may not, uh, it accounts for uh, external factors like ballpark and error. So it's adjusted. That's important. 100 is obviously league average, just like OPS plus. 150 would be 50% above league average. The basic formula is base hits plus walks multiplied by total bases. The result is then divided by at-bats plus walks. So it's telling you on plate appearances... It, it does everything. It gives you the hits, the walks, total bases, which it obviously counts for power. It's a good stat. It gives you the, uh, a real good feel of who can produce runs out there. I'm also starting to go back to some of the traditional stats. You know, look at the home runs. Look at the saves. Yes, they're commoditized, but you have to look at those differently. And for the purposes of the Hall of Fame ballot that's coming out next week, you don't have anybody from the 70s and 80s. You're evaluating them on a much more commoditized era of home runs and saves and things like that. Um, so I do like to maybe adjust a little bit for these things because back in the 70s and 80s, home runs were not as easy to come by. And I, like I said before, I was so big on precedent at one point. Well, once he gets in, he gets in, he gets in, he gets in. Well, you know what? This isn't law, law school. I can't go back and undo mistakes. It's not fair nor should I try to bastardize the Hall of Fame with my opinion because of it. Now, if you're not following Ryan Thibodeau over at, at not Mr. Tibbs on Twitter and his Hall of Fame tracker, you're missing out. What Ryan does, as you well know, I'm sure if you're listening, and if you don't, go follow him, it is he collects ballots, you know, he tells you who, he takes public ballots, he tries to do some research on anonymous, unverified ballots, and he tries to give you a percentage of the ballots that will come out when it's all said and done and how players are trending. So this is a very real number. It's not a complete number. And right now it's only about 40% of the vote, assuming everybody votes, that's eligible. But right now, as of today, as of Sunday morning at about 10 o'clock, nobody is going to be elected into the Hall of Fame. The closest will be Kurt Schilling at 74.8%. He's a shade uh, below. Uh, it's tr And usually... When you get to the anonymous and or the people that don't go and uh, let Ryan know, you usually drop 
Now, I don't know how that's going to, as we get newer and newer members of the BBWAA, I don't know how that's going to be, but the fact that at this point, 40%, 41% of the way in, nobody's at the threshold, it's not giving them any kind of uh, cushion to make it. So I don't think we're going to get a Hall of Famer. I think Schilling is close. Bonds and Clemens are getting close. They're in their ninth year, as well as Schilling is in ninth year. So they got one more shot. Uh, Bonds is at 72.4. Clemens is at 71.8. Nobody else is really close. Now, the guy to look for who has a ton of time left, and I believe I believe is a Hall of Famer, I'll tell you why, and and is getting up there, uh, is Scott Rowland. He's at 65%. He's only fourth year in. So I think he will make it eventually. Uh, other guys that you may know, you know, nobody else. You know, Helton is at 53%. Uh, Andrew Jones at 41. Jeff Kent at 29 Omar Vizquel at 39, Billy Wagner at 47. I mean, I, I just don't see those guys as Hall of Famers. So uh, let me give you right now real quick who I'm taking out. So I'm trying to make this as clear and concise as possible. No Andrew Jones, no Vizquel. I know Vizquel and Ozzie Smith are precedent. Vizquel way too one-dimensional. I could argue Ozzie Smith maybe not a Hall of Famer, different thing. Billy Wagner, relievers have to be the best of the best. Rivera and and towards that have to be the bar. Um it's too one-dimensional of a position. Saves are too commoditized. You have to be very, very elite and the best of the best by a wide margin. Billy was not like that. He also had he was he was a little spotty in the postseason. Mark Burley was not a dominant, a good pitcher, knew how to win, more hits than innings some seasons, was not the best of the best. Very good. Same with Tim Hudson, very good pitcher. I mean, Tim Hudson's kind of like Zach Wheeler. I don't think Zach Wheeler's a Hall of Famer, but he's a very good pitcher. And then Todd Helton, maybe that's the one that's debatable. Uh, outside of Colorado, he was still very good, but he was not elite. Now, if I penalize Larry Walker, I'm sure as heck not going to give Todd Helton a pass. Uh, you know, the same thing with anybody of those, uh, you know, those uh, Rockies players from the 90s. Now, you're going to say, uh, okay, who's on your Hall of Fame? There was one guy on the fence. Before I get to the, 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 the well, let me go this. Let me step back. Bonds and Clemens are on my ballot. They're Hall of Famers. Bonds is still before the steroids up to 1998. He was a uh, he was an elite offensive player. After 1998, 1998, he was Babe Ruth. And if you look at Bonds, I mean, really, uh, he's not that far off from. He's the second best offensive player or overall player offensively from a position standpoint all time. And before 1998, and when you think he took steroids, he's still he's still pretty much in that in that camp. He's the best hitter. Of an error from 1986 to 2003. Clemens, same deal. Uh, Fangraphs has him as the best all-time. Baseball reference has him behind Cy Young and Walter Johnson. Seaver Maddox Clemens, if you go post-integration, Seaver Maddox Clemens might be the three best pitchers of all time. I've only seen two of the three. I didn't see Seaver pitch enough to really say. But from 1984 to 1996, if you want to say Clemens' dark alley with steroids happened when he went to Toronto... 192 wins, three Cy Young Awards, 3.06 ERA, way better than Doc Gooden or Greg Maddox, who were next right up beneath him when you put wins above replacement into there, into the category. If his career stopped there, he'd be right there with Kurt Schilling, who I was never a Kurt Schilling fan. But as you look at things like wins above replacement in war, he has good peripheral stats, his ERA plus is right there with Seaver, comparable to Smotes, Clav, and Fergie Jenkins, who are Hall of Famers. He has an historic moment, the Bloody Sock game, 2001 World Series. Yes, his career was 2001 onward. Uh, I don't know if he was a Hall of Fame before that. He was on my fence, but as I looked at it, I said, well, you know, 
If I'm going to say Clemens, 1996, you know, Schilling too. And as for the politics, come on, let's, I'm not getting into the belief systems here. Steroids, politics, Twitter, I'm not getting into it. Now, the three that are a little bit more controversial, uh, who are more offensive-minded and very much every bit the offensive stud in any era, are Manny Ramirez and Gary Sheffield. Uh, Manny Ramirez is probably, you could argue, the best right-handed hitter of an era. He's every bit the offensive player of Frank Thomas, A-Rod, Miguel Cabrera, who will be Hall of Famer. Elite run creator. He's You talk about Hank Aaron. He's From an offensive standpoint, he was Hank Aaron. Hank Greenberg, Willie Mays. Uh, yes, he had the steroids at the end of his career. He failed the test. But I don't know if you could say all 555 home runs were because of steroids. That was at a different time. And he loves playing baseball. I mean, they hate him. But he's a guy who's still trying to play baseball probably till the day he dies. He loves the game. He's goofy. You know, he didn't really, you know, he's quirky. Didn't Wasn't interested in playing defense. We know that. Probably would have been a better hit player and looked at differently if he had played some D. And if you vote for Manny Ramirez, you have to vote for Gary Sheffield. Very similar. Over 500 home runs, 509 to be exact, 292 average, 393 on base, 514 slugging. Um, obviously, he has the steroid light accusations. He had issues in Milwaukee, you know, with the throwing the ball away and not playing hard. Grouchy with the media, played for a ton of teams, you know, was more of a DH at the end of his career, didn't really have a position, not a good defensive player. But again, when you look at the decade of the 90s from a run creation standpoint, He's right there with Griffey, right there with Piazza, right there with Edgar Martinez. He's actually better than Albert Bell. Albert Bell was a jerk, not in the Hall of Fame. Still, this guy was a great offensive player, and I'm I'm sorting this by decade. I'm trying to be very fair. So so far we have we have Schilling, we have Bonds, we have Clemens, Ramirez, Sheffield. Now the two that really at some point I was kind of wavering that I'm going to put on one is a former Met. And the other one, you guys know well, Scott Rowland. Scott Rowland is the 11th best in terms of win shares at third base all time. Comparable numbers to Brooks Robinson and Ron Santo, both Hall of Famers. I think what hurts him is that he was a quiet guy, played for a bad Phillies team in an offensive era, played in St. Louis. That probably hurt him because he wasn't in the media market, pre-social media. It was much more Yankees-Red Sox back then. Only Chipper and A-Rod were better offensively if you go during that 15-year period, 96-210, to A-Rod didn't even play the position every day. Uh, Chipper was a better hitter. Uh, Roland was a better defensive uh, player. He's a Hall of Famer. He should get in. He's not too far off. He won't get in this year. I believe he'll get in in the next couple of years, and that's a good that's a good vote. And uh, by all accounts, you know, he doesn't have any kind of off-the-field stuff that should prevent him from getting to that 75. Other than the fact that he's kind of vanilla, which hurts him, which is funny because that's what we want in one hand, and that's what we don't want in another hand. Finally, the one guy that I said no on Friday, and then I changed my mind as I was doing prep for the show on Saturday, is former Met Jeff Kent. Now, I was on the fence, and I know there's some rolling your eyes, and yes, he was not a great defensive player, and he played some other positions, third base notably, early in his career and late in his career. But from 19, and this is how I did it, I, I just told you earlier, a decade from 1995 to 2005, he was a better second baseman overall with wind shears than Craig Biggio, better than Robbie Alomar, and those both guys are Hall of Famers, and both were looked at, and Biggio made it. I don't think there was a lot of question about that. Alomar, 
other than the spitting in the umpire, umpire's face, uh, you know, that was the only thing there. Nobody questioned his on-the-field stuff. Uh, and I also said, you know, let me see how much of second base he played during that era. According to baseball reference, it was about 85% of the games he played was at that position. That's fair. I mean, if I if you want to go 100%, I mean, everybody plays another game here or there. Potentially Craig Biggio didn't play his whole career at second. He was an outfielder. He was a catcher. Uh, look, he's right there when you look at his career numbers with Ryan Sandberg, with Jackie Robinson. I'm not comparing him to what Jackie Robinson did for the sport. But, I mean, is he that much different? Now, defensively, Ryan Sandberg was way better, and he's an overall better player. But offensively, Jeff Ken is a lot like Ryan Sandberg there. He has an MVP in 2000. He averaged over that period that I just mentioned, that 10-year period, 28 homers, 109 RBIs, a 136 OPS+. plus. That's a Hall of Famer. So that's my ballot. We'll see what Kevin Kernan thinks. We'll see if he agrees with it. So I gave you what I thought was the way how I look at the Hall of Fame. I gave you my ballot. Scott Rowland, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, Manny Ramirez, Gary Sheffield, and Jeff Kent. And who's on the outside looking in? Andrew Jones, Armo Vizquel, Billy Wagner, Mark Burley, Tim Hudson, Todd Helton, uh, and I don't think any of that's controversial, but I want to hear from you. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, Kevin Kernan, America's most beloved sports writer. That and more right after this. You never know who's going to stop by the Talking Mets podcast. Back on June 16, 2019, Hall of Famer Mike Piazza talked about the transition from Los Angeles to New York. It was a huge environmental shift. I mean, I'm living on the beach in Los Angeles and, uh, you know, walking around in flip-flops and sandals and then getting in a car and driving to Dodger Stadium and the fans love me and and the, the girls love me and everyone's screaming your name. And then next thing you know, you're in the you know the cauldron that is New York because uh, it's just, it was a different environment and, and it was more laid back in Los Angeles. Um... He, until my contract dispute, I never got booed in L.A. So when I was getting booed here, it was like a new experience, and I really didn't know how to handle it. And then I eventually came around, and I figured it out, that New York fans are passionate. They have a blue-collar attitude. They just they love their team. And I mentioned that in my Hall of Fame speech. I think it made me better. Listen to this and more on the Talking Mets podcast at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. We're back, and I'm joined by uh, one of my favorites. He's over at Ball 9, America's Most Beloved Sports Writer, at AMBS underscore Kernan, Kevin Kernan. And if you're not reading Ball 9, you're missing out. And he had a great piece about Hank Aaron this week, and uh, we'll talk Hall of Fame vote. Maybe we'll get into a little Mets. But most importantly, I want to talk about the Hall of Fame. And, Kevin, welcome back to the program. Uh, I know you're – down in florida enjoying the the nice weather it will you be going to spring training you usually start thinking about your tour but i know that right now it's a it's up in the air quite quite a bit yeah usually i'm already at spring training all those years um i went early came up with great stories um i'll go on my own this year when we can but the problem is now mike and and you're seeing in the daily uh reports and the way uh, baseball is covered now Everything is a Zoom meeting. There's no one-on-one. There's no clubhouse. I'm understanding right. no clubhouse access again this spring. Um, 
each thing is up to the individual teams, I believe, and we'll see where it goes. But if you can't, and again, it's another example of baseball being dumb. And since, since we're on your dumbasses, I would even say, <laughs> um, uh, the, you know, years ago, I was talking to David Stern, the commissioner, myself, Jan Hubbard, Fran Blindberry, a couple of writers I knew from Texas. This was in the early 80s when, uh, you know, the NBA was trying to get head above water. Right. And we said, hey, why don't you start promoting uh, guys like Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and make the, make the league more accessible? And he said, you know, that's a great idea. And, and David Stern was a smart guy who wasn't, wasn't too smart enough to ask for help, but even from the media. Mm-hmm. And he started doing it on the NBA Blossom. Baseball is going the other way right now. Supposedly, you're getting engagement from social media with player, players, but that you're really not. I mean, you're not getting to know the players. Even a little story I wrote today with Ball Nine, um, you know, it was Hank Aaron, and I, I was able to get some one on one time with Hank at the Museum of Natural History uh, in New York when they were promoting the baseball uh, as America type exhibit from the Hall of Fame. Great exhibit. Um, and and it was just great walking around with Hank Aaron. Those days now for media are going to be used because the COVID would be used as an excuse for everything. Sure, sure. And so, so long answer to your question, but if I'm not going to be able to get access, why am I going to bother myself going to spring training? And and most most newspapers, I would even go so far as to say a lot of newspapers are happy about it because they don't have to send, send their writers anywhere where they can save money. I mean, Kevin, I'll give you one further. I was watching uh, the Nick game and I'm watching Mike Breen and Clyde Frazier in the studio in New York. And I was, you know, watching a game with my wife. And I said, you know, as I listened to the game, it doesn't, I wouldn't have known. Now I'm sure Breen and Clyde want to be there, but don't be surprised. The networks start to say, hmm, you know, I could save on hotels. I could save on travel. And then you talk about interactions. I mean, look, what happened this week, Jared Porter, awful, you know, what he did. There's a lot of jerks out there. And I know Trevor Bauer, you know, I don't understand the thought process of going after people. Uh, but when players see that, even though they're not doing that, they're like, do I want to get involved in this? Like the Zoom for me as a player at this point, Kevin, and you're doing this a long time. As a player, my point of view is no personal numbers to the media, limited access. I'll stay with the Zoom. And if I really, really trust somebody, all right, I'll vet them out. But um Look, I've talked to athletes retired, you know, active. It takes a long time to gain trust. And and right now, I don't think that that's going to be easy. And I think the Zoom is – the COVID is, is going to be the excuse. But the players – I don't think the players want the media in the locker room anymore. That's my gut. At least I feel uh, that way. You they would don't know want that. us at all. They don't want us at all. They say they do. But in the end, they're going to lose so much. And that's what you're missing out on. And that's what everybody's missing out on because – some of my best stories through the years, I, I built that trust. I had that trust with players, you know. Um, um, but also, players get upset with what you write, you know, because you got to, if you're writing the truth, you're going to upset some people here and there. And, and that's what happened to me always through the years. I upset some people, but that's life, you know. And uh, I, I, call, I, I call it as I see it. You know, I called the Bodie Van Wagenen uh, joke show, as I saw it right from the beginning. Um, and, and, and with the players, they're selling a product. They're trying to get, you know, they're trying to get into everybody's homes and they're trying to make you like them. And, and look at where baseball has gone. You've gone from 
the Brooklyn Dodgers living in the neighborhood, you know, the Yankees hanging out, the big Yankees teams hanging out at the, you know, at the big restaurant Gallagher's or whatever and closed now, but they, you know, uh, all those, all those great restaurants in New York to now where it's a zoom call. There's, it's fake. Like everything is fake right. now. Everything right. is fake. And that's where they're heading. And it's going to make it much easier to be quite honest. You're going back to the time before Dick Young now as reporters. So if a reporter wants to crush somebody, they'll be crushing them a lot more now. They'll be crushing players a lot more now because you don't have access and there's nothing to lose when it comes to uh, relationships. When you got to know somebody, maybe given the benefit of the doubt, uh, you'd have conversations with them, with them. You'd enjoy their time. Um, it, it, that's all going to go away. And it's just another example of baseball being come getting more separated from the fans and the more separated from the fans it gets uh the worse it gets and everything baseball has done almost almost everything i'll give them a benefit on some things it's been to separate the fans from the game and and to take the game away from the fans and uh, we're seeing another example of it and even the jared porter thing i didn't know jared porter i'll be very honest about this and, and when when i was on guys shows like yourself or whatever you know, I do a million of these things and uh, people would ask me about Porter. I said, I'm going to take the wait and see attitude. I don't know much about him. All I did know was this. I talked to somebody I knew that um, knew him. And this person kind of had helped him get going a little bit in the business. And this person reached out to Porter and Porter never got back to him. So that was mm-hmm. a red flag for me. And that, but, I, you know, I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't want to report that until I spoke to him about it. But now, I don't care if I ever speak to him again, you know, obviously I'm not, right. I never spoke to him before. I don't know the guy. Um, uh, but there's a deeper problem with the Porter thing. You know, he, there's a, there's a little bit of a, uh, you know, what's going on with, which that happened years ago in Chicago and it never bubbled up. I mean, come on, people have yeah. to know what's going on. And uh, so, so, you know, Porter is just an example of what's going on. What do we hear from the Mets, Steve Cohen and and Sandy, and I like Sandy. Um, I think Sandy's heart is in the right place. He's a military guy, uh, but they really didn't bet him. In a column I wrote uh, earlier this week, I don't know if you read it at, at Ball Nine, because mm-hmm. again, I'm writing stuff nobody's media writing. media and power. I love it. Me, yes. MIP media, and I and I said it early in the show, and and I don't want to interrupt you, but I want to throw one thing because I think no, it ties good. into. I'm all for diversity. Look, I, I have a corporate background. I get it. But my problem with the media demanding diversity, it's fake now. It's, well, you need to have an African-American. You need to have a woman. And I'm fine with that. But there's no – what about diversity of thought? There's sites that don't have diversity of thought. Kevin, I'm going to be honest with you, and I, I don't want to put you in spot. There's ageism in journalism. And I'm talking ageism 35, 40, and older. And I'm forty, going to be 44 in a week. Uh, I'm considered old. I don't, I maybe, maybe I am, I don't know. Um, and if you don't subscribe to the club, you know, all I said with Jared Porter is when the story came out, it's bad, but can we at least let Sandy and Steve Cohen look into, is there anything here that's, that's off? And that was viewed as insensitive. I'm sorry, due diligence. Now there was probably a zero, 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 zero point one percent chance that there was going to be anything good coming out of that. I get that. But don't we deserve at least people to, as owning a, a business, to say, could it be possible ESPN did something wrong? Probably not. 
And, and that's the thing at this point. Nobody can evolve. Trevor Bauer threw a ball in the stands. He can't evolve. He's done. We throw people off the island. We take glee. We take glee in people losing their jobs. Think about in this world today, unemployment. We take glee. Jared Porter, I don't feel sorry. He did it to himself. He's probably not going to get a date anytime soon. He's probably not going to get a job anywhere doing anything. Does he even have the skills to do anything outside of baseball? That's sad. Now, I'm not saying I feel sorry for him, but like, you know, there's human beings and like we forget that. And here's the biggest thing, Kevin. Twitter's not the real world. Most people I talk to that are sports fans, they're not on Twitter. So just because Twitter says it doesn't mean it, it's true. And, and that to me, bother. and a lot of writers right now are very cruel. They like to see people being dragged down. And to me, that's scary because that's not right. You know, that's karma that's going to come back at you. Yeah, you make a lot of great points there. First of all, you know, on, on ESPN, I actually, you know, I, I kind of read into, I, I know Passon and I know, I know the people who wrote those stories and I know a lot of people at ESPN. I thought ESPN did a great job of actually, if, if they truly did what they said they did, they were waiting to get the, to go from, from the woman. And I understand that mm-hmm. completely. I've had That's a lot of stories through the years where I didn't write it unless I got the okay. Not that level of stories. So I think it was a, a, a good job of reporting. But here's, my, here's the thing. If this thing, this is my point. If, if this thing has been around for four or five years, people had to know about it. People in organizations. Jared Porter Somebody. Was up for, yeah. Jared Porter was up for a lot of jobs, didn't get him. And yeah. I'm not saying that's the reason why, but the Mets could not. I, I'm so tired of hearing we're going to do our due diligence. And when I first started in this business, Mike, and this is a key thing, and this is what I wrote about last week, uh, one of the points, strength of character. Um, we all make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. You know, everybody's got a little bit of problems. You know, hopefully you can become a better person. But when I first started this job, the GMs that I respected, they would make a trade for a player or they would bring somebody in an organization for a job. First thing they would do was, would be call around. They would speak to the media, the reporters, because the reporters back then knew everything pretty much. What is this person really like? They would speak to the clubhouse managers, every clubhouse manager. I put that in the article, and I had a few clubhouse managers uh, reach out to me and say, Kevin, thanks for thinking about us. That's what we used to do. But they don't even consider us anymore. Because why? Because it's an ivy, uh, you know, it's an ivory tower now. Trainers. I, I mean, Steve Garland, Steve Garland, I think it was Howie Rose said it. Steve Garland used to be a big leak for those old Mets teams, you know? Of course. I mean, these are the little people. You'd be sorry. I like when people say, Mike, how do you know something that's in baseball? You're a nobody. I said, look, I am a nobody. I understand that. But I talk to a few people, security guards, people that are around, and you vet them. You'd be surprised what you learn. Now, you don't report it, and you don't go after people, but it gives you context as to who you're dealing with. And look, Kevin, there's a lot of arrogance in, in, in baseball. Once you get the – you could see a guy like Porter, he earned it up the line, but he was bestowed the job. And, and there's an arrogance that comes with it. I mean, you have to be arrogant to do what you do and to put out in the world what you do, uh, that kind of situation. Um, but I, I think the biggest issue I have, Kevin, is nobody's allowed to evolve anymore. Nobody. You have to be punished. And I got to tell you, I'm sorry, the people that are doing the writing, if I go back in your social media, is there something there that you don't like? You know, I'm sure. Um, have you done something wrong? I've done things wrong. No, I haven't done it like Jared Porter. But I, I mean... 18 years old, 19 years old, whatever it may be. Uh, I think the other thing, Kevin, is I think baseball for a long time, and you know this in sports, was less corporate. And it was in a bubble away from the corporate properness. 
I think they better realize now you're in the corporate properness because that's just the world we live in. And that's not a bad thing, but it will take some character away uh, from all that. I mean, you know that, you know. Yeah, and, and, and again, get, getting these, these people getting the jobs now, how are they getting the jobs? Because Peter Gammons writes about you being some superstar assistant GM. Right. Or, like I said, I, I use the term MIP, and Media Empower. And it's, it's right. very much like the regular media. And you're talking to someone whose job was terminated this this year, you know, 23 years, uh, uh, last 23 years, worked with the Post, had a great time. Yeah. You know, they treated me great, and I treated them great. It's like, it's like Hank Aaron told me, like, he gave everything, you know, baseball, he, he, he has, everything he has, he has because of baseball, but he gave everything to baseball. And I think there's a lot of people that do that, whether they're playing the game, media like myself. You know, guys like you, you you give it all and you hope for the best. And if you make a mistake, hopefully you can bounce back from it. And that gets back to your point about, you know, again, the cancel thing. If if we don't, if we don't grow as a country, we're, we're in, we're going to be in big trouble and we're starting to see things left and right now that are, that are really annoying. And, uh, you know, uh, I just hope it's better for my uh, children and grandchildren than it is right now. Uh, before we get to the Hall of Fame, do you have issues with the Mets signing Trevor Bauer? There's been a loud, vociferous media, blog, fan contingent. Now, it's 50-50 if you really talk to people. But because of the tweets, because of his followers, it seems like his followers are the issue. I guess now you're responsible for the people that follow you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I mean it, the depths. Uh, I find it hard. It's a slippery slope when Jose Reyes is okay, Domingo Herman is okay, Bauer is not. This one's okay. Like... I don't understand the bar. And I think if the Mets from a baseball standpoint on a short-term deal, I go for it. Um, I know he may not be better than Zach Wheeler, but that's a different ownership time. Do you have an issue with it because of the tweets? Do you have an issue with it because of the baseball? What are your thoughts on Bauer? You, you probably have interacted with him, I'm sure. Oh well, yeah, I've dealt with him when he, he was the drone boy, when he got, you know, cut his hand during the playoffs. I remember dealing yep. with him. And, and you know, I got to say, he was he was great to talk to. Uh, he was he was a. I think he'd be a very interesting interview. I think he'd be good for New York. Uh, I haven't followed the latest because it's always the latest. You know, the latest thing. I saw a couple stories about it or some some tweets about it. Evidently, he got into a little bit of a, a thing on Twitter, and that's why Twitter too. Like you said, that's not real life. I try to engage. But be careful how you engage and. Um, and I'm not going to hold that. He's a baseball player. Are you kidding me? I mean, I've been around a million baseball players. And if you if we started canceling baseball players because how they treat people, then, then, then there's no baseball players. <laughs> it's, it's really that they, simple. They should be better. but And I think they are going to get better. But it's also a locker room. It's also guys being guys, I think. Now, they shouldn't treat reporters like that. But, um, you know, at some point, you can't say that the Bulls with Rodman are cool. The 86 Mets are cool. But, you know, Bauer tweeting. And P- Bauer, it's not even about Bauer tweeting. Yeah, he stalked that one girl. I don't get where he was going there. But Bauer's followers. Now, I, you know, I saw reporters say, well, Bauer should hire someone to, to block any follower that had a, a bad, uh, you know, something bad to say. I'm like, really? Like, that's where we're at now? I'm responsible for... You know, I have a modest following. I don't know. I mean, there could be a really bad person. There could be a serial killer that likes this this show. It's my fault. <laughs> I have no idea. I have. I. I mean, I'm at a point where I'm like, guys, you just don't like the guy. Why don't you just say it? 
Don't make yeah. reasons for it. You don't like the guy. I, I try to keep it baseball. You know what? Yep. If I'm running a baseball team, I would certainly have a conversation with Bauer before I sign Absolutely. him. Absolutely. And I'd see where his head is at. And if I didn't feel comfortable where he was and where he, you know, how he's going to treat people, then maybe I get, you know, I wouldn't sign him. But if I really needed a pitcher, here's the plus side. Let's look at it from a baseball standpoint. First of all, if you get Bauer in New York, you already got a plus because what does Bauer want to do? He really wants to, he wants to, he he wants to stick it to Jared Cole too. Right. That'd be fun. They were former teammates and they have a great rivalry and there's nothing wrong with rivalries and Cole will step up his game too. It, It would actually be good for the Yankees and for the Mets because each one would be trying to top each other, you know, back in the, uh, you know, Brooklyn Dodgers, New York Giants, uh, uh, Yankees days, some, some of those guys didn't like each other. They, they, there was mm-hmm. competition. Leo DeRocher was hated by everybody, you know? So, so there's nothing wrong with that. So let's, let's remember it's baseball. It's supposed to be entertainment. When baseball becomes too much about real life, people are done with baseball and it's an escapism and it's supposed to be fun and if it's not fun, uh, then it's a problem. And that's the problem we're having now. There's too much media just jumping on every little thing. There's too much fans jumping on every little thing. And, uh, you know, just let's enjoy the game. Let's get back to playing baseball. Here's the hardest part. You know, let's move runners along. Uh, I talked about it today with Hank Darren. You know, Hank, Hank had, uh, I think his second year in the league, he had 14 triples. 14 yep, triples. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know how many in 2019, the only team with more than 14 triples was the Rockies, 16. Yeah, I, I've got, never understood that. I I thought maybe AstroTurf played into that back in the day, maybe the AstroTurf, but maybe that would play the opposite where the ball would get out there quicker. Um, I'm not expecting them to be the Cardinals of the 80s, but I've never quite understood. I remember back uh, the worst team money could buy, the 92 Mets. I remember there being a thing back that season, how the Mets weren't hitting any triples. It was a bad thing. Nobody. Nobody would say that today. What's funny is if you go back and read that book, all the things that are considered cool today, micromanagement, team meetings, those are all the things the Mets did with Torborg back in 1992. And they were considered bad things back then. And I'm reading this book during the pandemic, and I was going to reach out to Bob and say, Bob, do you realize you were ahead of the time? But it was on the, you were reporting on where this, this sport was going. Um, and all that stuff. So it's it's funny that you do that. And, uh, I, you know, it was great because Aaron was a complete hitter. And you had a chance to just walk the natural uh, the Museum of Natural History and talk baseball with them. And I don't think people realize if you get that opportunity with any kind of player, even a, a, a situational lefty, how much you could learn. You're not going to learn it just from fan graphs and baseball reference and Twitter. You're going to learn so much. And it was interesting that you were able to dig up that tape out of your collection. I'm sure you have more and relive it and, and see how relevant some of the things from 20 years ago are now just talking to Aaron back in 2002. Well, everything's super relevant and everything's because I talk baseball. And again, that's my, my, my 46 years in the business is not just me writing. It's me talking for 46 years to people, 10 years and, you know, 10 years straight to Tony Gwynn about hitting. So am I a better evaluator of hitting now than I was before? Of course I was, but that's the problem. Again, we're getting back to 
the problem. The problem is the the eggheads, the nerds. Like you know, I didn't wear my over nerding shirt today. That you that's that's going to get you in trouble. You're over. I got to tell you, the last time you were on, you told Mets fans to grow up. I used that as a promo for the show. It was great. Yeah. It's not relevant because you were talking about Brody, but you were so angry. You were driving in the car. You would go. This was like a couple of weeks before the pandemic hit. And you would just like at a point like, Mike, they just need to grow up. They just need to grow up about the whining and all that. Now it's the, you know, it's the medium power. It's not going to get you a lot of friends when the press box opens up again. Uh, that's not going to make you a lot of friends, but it's true. And there's a hierarchy. It's like, you know, the life is like high school. Just we're doing different things. You know, everybody's got, it's like high school. It goes back to the same concepts. Well, but here's the problem though. And it's not just the media. And I don't care, you know, the media, I get along with most of these guys. But I'll tell them to their face if I see something too. So I don't, I don't care. And, right. um, and, and that's one of the things, even when we get, you know, when we talk about the Hall of Fame, I don't care what you think about my vote. I don't care. It's my vote. Hell, the hell with you. It's really that simple. But the problem with the teams is we're, we're getting all these, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the Ivy League guys, even now when GMs are getting hired and they're former players, they've got to be Ivy League guys. You know, you've got to be a Chris Young or something like that, you know. I want the guy that's street smart. There's no street smart in baseball anymore, you know? And, and, and look at these. Uh, so all these, if you put yourself, put yourself in my shoes when I walk around a ballpark, all these guys, all these assistant GMs are texting each other. They're texting their favorite reporters. They're all living in their bubble. Yep. They're not outside their bubble. They're no right. longer talking to clubhouse men. They're no longer talking to uh, boots on the ground media. They're no longer talking to scouts. Scouts is going away. So right. you're going to keep making the same mistakes. That's why baseball sucks right now. Because these guys are in charge and they've ruined the game. And if they don't, I'm going to, I'm going to make a bold statement here. But if, if baseball doesn't clean it up, they're going to leave an opening for another uh, major league. And it won't be as good as the major league talent-wise now, of course, because the players are incredible. The talent they have, it's incredible. The but, history, yes. yeah, they're going, to, they're going to leave an opening for a baseball league where people – you and I, or we can go to a game for a decent price and watch a baseball game where there might be a hit and run, stolen base, no replay. I, I'd love to go to a game now and not see replay simply because it slows the game down and slows everything down. You get out of there quicker, you know. Uh, somebody made a great point I was talking to the other day. They said, imagine all the stolen bases with Ricky Henderson, all those guys. Um, uh, what it would have been like to see every, every replay pains, painfully uh, replay super slow motion. That's the first thing they should do. I think you should dump replay, except for major, major errors where where the umpires have the ability to say, "Hey, I think uh, I think we missed the play at her first base. The guy still got a perfect game." You know, right. I think I think that that or make it strategy, replay. make it strategy. So you got two a game or one a game each team, and that's it. But, You're but done it's, gotta be, it's also got to be replay in reg. This is where I'm talking about common sense and not street smarts and these guys living in a, in, a, in, a, in their own little bubble. It's got to be replay has to be regular speed replay. Can't slow down to super slow motion anymore. Just regular speed replay. Right. What did I see? Let me make a decision. We move on because that's the problem. That's the essence of everything you're talking about here. People can't move on, whether a mistake is made by an umpire. Well, they want everything to be perfect. Writer, everything's yes. got to be oh, right. Everything's got to be perfect. On, move on. And what's happening? It's not perfect anymore. It was more perfect back in the day. So, Could you imagine a robot strike zone? I still don't understand how that's going to work. And I know that we have the, the technology with, you know, the, the tracker. I, I just, there's got to be some kind of issue that'll come away with it. 
where either the wireless won't work, the camera will have some kind of false read, there'll be something. And I'm saying to myself, I, I don't want it to, I, the, there's a lot of bad umpiring. I mean, you've seen it. I've seen it. Yeah. You know, what, what, I mean, think of Eric Gregg in the playoffs with LeVon Hernandez. Like, whoa, okay. Uh, but I also think there's that character there. And I think their umpires, maybe since replay, I feel they've got it more wrong than right. I wonder if it's in their head. They're worse. Because, I, I mean, I was talking to somebody, and they're like, wow, the, the umpiring is really bad if you're overturning 50% of the replay calls. I go, I, I think it's worse now than ever because I, I, I wonder if maybe the game, Kevin, maybe the game is getting really fast on them. I mean, that's the one thing. If anybody goes and I always remember when you go down and sit at the field level, the few times I've been, especially in the NBA, when I had courtside seats one time in my life for a net game, I was astonished. And I'm a longtime NBA fan, how quick, how big, how high they jump. You don't get that until you're down there. Same thing with baseball. It's quick. So it's easy sit on a couch with replay to say that they stink, but they're strong and fast and really quick. Ron Darling's talked about this all the time. How when he retired, he forgot how quick the game was until he came back and saw it on and and down on the field. It's amazing. Well, so, well, the game is faster. And and and. But here's the thing: uh, two things. Getting back to the NBA, I praised them. Well, now I'm not going to praise them because what did they do? They took the media off the courtside seats. When I was yep. on the courtside seats, the stories were so much better because I had so much color in them. I would have Clyde Drexler come over and look at the my box score between uh, on a timeout, and I'd be able to talk to him about something. Michael Ray Richardson. So that's all been lost because they've been put upstairs, and now they're yep. out of the building. Right. Rather. So, you know, so now the NBA stinks when it comes to that kind of stuff. But this, I think the umpires now, I think, I think they've lost their will to umpire to some extent. In other words, they know it's going, and they also know. Well, if I mess up, it'll be it'll be second guess. They'll, they'll clean it up or whatever. Or, or they could also be saying, you know what? I'm tired of replay. This is the call I'm making. Let them live with it. Doesn't affect me. We have a union, and um, and the umpires right now. They, what I've noticed from umpiring now, from and this is a very technical point, but the umpiring now, from what I've noticed from the umpire, how it used to be, they don't put themselves in the best angles right now. And and there's two things going on here. The umpire may be worse now. I'm not saying it is, but it may be worse now because maybe they've hired worse umpires, which is my my initial feeling. You know, they've hired guys that, you know, that move up for whatever reason, and, and they're really not good umpires. The second thing is, if you put yourself at a bad angle, and here's a little point, but in the American League, you used to have the balloon chest protector. And yep. those, those umpires could get in an angle where they could see the whole plate. Now, because they have no balloon chest protectors and it's evolved through the years, and this is what framing is really about. Framing is really about getting the angle, giving the umpire the proper angle so he can see the strikes. Because so many umpires don't see the angle because they're hiding behind the catcher and they don't see a portion of the plate. So there's so many things wrong uh, uh, with, 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 with the, the program today. But now though, everybody's worried about just the instant replay. And it's the old Pandora's box thing. You open up the box, bad things happen. Yep. And, and the big bad thing is the games are so long now, you've taken the human element out of it. And in a way, you've taken fun out of it. And that's what, that's what baseball continues to do. They take the fun out of it. You know, They've taken the fun out of the game in so many ways. I mean, I watched – I was bored the other day, so I put on uh, – I, I went through my prime video and I found the Milwaukee Braves highlight film for 54 and 55. Might have been 55 and 56. And the, the video was incredible. It was all in color. It was a great, it was a great film. 
And and to see the players go from first to third and how many triples they had and, and, and the speed of the game back then, the speed of the game back then, the players weren't as strong, I'll give them that. But the speed of the game was much quicker back then, things they did. And, uh, and, and again, we can't go back in time. We are where we are, but, but the game really needs to get back some of its basics. If it doesn't, it's going to continue to be a niche game. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, give me Australian rules football at this point. There you, there you go. Kevin Kern and America's most beloved sports writer, ball nine. All right, Kevin. So I don't have a hall of fame vote, but I let's play pretend here's and and, and I know that you wrote a column you uh, had spoken to a Hall of Famer that really changed your mind on Bonds and Clemens and steroids. And I'm curious to hear that. But I look at it this way. Bonds and Clemens, if you want to use a demarcation line, we're Hall of Famers before all the nonsense. I know we don't 100% know. So I would put them in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Schilling, I've always been against because I, I didn't feel like watching any of his Hall of Famer. But you look at his numbers and you compare them. He's right there with Smoltz. He's right there with Glavin. He's got the historic uh, events. Maybe it was more after 2000, but he's there. Um, Manny Ramirez and Gary Sheffield, I know they're tainted, but those were great hitters for their era. I mean, they're right up there. You talk about Hank Aaron, you know, you look at stats. If you want to just look at stats, Manny Ramirez is from an offensive standpoint, the hitter that Aaron was. Now the two that, that people might be surprised and I wavered on one, I think he got gets hit because he was during, he was with a bad Phillies team. And he was in St. Louis before social media with Scott Rowland. Very underrated when you start comparing him versus other third basemen. And as much as I hate to say it, Jeff Kent had some really good numbers for a period. Some cases, if you look at the advanced metrics, better than Biggio, better than Olimar. That's who I had. What are your thoughts? And, and talk about how you went about your ballot. Well, we'll start with the two big ones, Bonds and Clemens. They have the numbers being a Hall of Fame, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big believer of that. I know steroids in and out. I've seen it from the amateur level to the professional level. It helps you. It helps you recover. It helps you. It makes your fast twitch muscles better. You don't get better as you get older. You know, I'm sorry. Right. I'm sorry. All this, right. you don't, unless, unless you maybe clean up your act somehow and, uh, you know, in rare cases, but you don't become a superstar at that age. So right. I think, I, I think they cheated and I think they, you know, that, that's life too bad. They made that decision. I didn't make that decision. And uh, and that's who they are, and it's going to cost them in my book because it's my vote. So too bad if you don't like Absolutely. it. Too bad. And I've had you know one year I did I, I wavered and voted for both of them, and I walked into a clubhouse I won't say which one, and a Hall of Fame player immediately came up to me and said, "Kevin, how could you vote for those two guys?" Mm-hmm. You know, and really gave read me the riot act. And I thought about what that person said, and 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 they were right. And this was a Hall of Fame player. Now that Hall of Fame player may change his opinion uh, as years go through because you know things happen. But that's, I'm almost to the point, Mike, that baseball has screwed this up so much with the whole, why am I on that wall? It's, you know, it's like from a few right. good men. It's not my job to be on the wall. It's my job to, uh, and I've seen all these players. That's the other thing. Everybody on that, on, that, on that list I've seen now, I saw their careers. I covered baseball. So, so I'm off the wall. I almost want to, I got, I'm going two ways here, Mike, and it could, it could be interesting. Um, I'm either going to, if they don't make it this year and I don't vote for them again and they don't make it next year, I'm putting Clemens and Bonds in the hands of baseball. Let the Veterans Committee, which has given us such wonderful Hall of Famers as Harold Baines, let them, let them, uh, let them decide on Bonds and Clemens and let them, you know, because, and people say, well, there's already historic guys in the Hall of Fame. That's true. We know that, you know, guy, I'm sure guys you use are in there. 
But these guys are really super tainted. So it's a different, especially Manny Ramirez. That's my argument on Manny Ramirez. You know, Manny Ramirez just, you know, he he just, he's a great hitter, but he grew up, he got stronger, bigger, bounced back and all these things. And, and, and look at A-Rod too, and how their bodies are and what they do. Chef never changed body wise. He, he was he was tainted because that one year with Bonds, <clears throat> but he got away from it. So Chef to me was the, one of the best hitters of that era. I voted for him. Roland, I can go either. This is the other thing, too, Mike. This is very important. This this class when you take out Bonds and Clemens, which is ironic. Um, not, it's not the greatest class. I mean, no. it's there's nothing there that sticks out. Uh, debate. Lots of de- when you're debating and it's not a no brainer. Makes it a, a lot a, different. Yeah, yeah, and and that's why I think it, it, there could be nobody getting elected this year. Schilling, Schilling to me was Jack Morris, or uh, a much more modern day Jack Morris. You know, he was Jack Morris. Why I look at Schilling, he pitched the big games. His teams won World Series. It's the old story about Schilling. You know, uh, one day a week it was a horse, a horse. The other, the other five days, of, uh, six days of the week, or whatever, how many the rotation was. The other days of the week, he was a horse's ass. So, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna penalize him for you know whatever kind of political uh, motives he has now. I mean, that's, to me, that's a separate world. And uh, so, to me, he's a Hall of Fame. Jeff Kent is a, to me. You can make the best argument because I'm a sucker, and I said it in the article. I'm a sucker for the most home runs in a position. He owns the most home runs for a second baseman. Boom! I put him in. Mm-hmm. Todd Helton can't blame Todd Helton because he played in Colorado. You know, the guy hit what he hit like. 316. Viscal, I was again, all these guys I could have went either or, you know. Right. Viscal, I was thinking heavily about him, and then I thought, well, you know what? He was the best defensive second base, not shortstop of his time, and his batting average is one point lower than Phil Rizzuto. So that, that got him in. Wagner, That's precedent. Think, That's precedent. Yeah. You have to look yeah. at precedent. Wagner, I understand. Wagner, Wagner, I think it's just a little bit because of, of the number of innings, maybe, or whatever. But Wagner, you know, he had that incredible ERA, the strikeout-to-walk ratio. If you just go numbers, they blow you away. So Wagner, and, and we've become a lot more lenient on uh, letting relievers in now. You know, it's, right. it's just, it, it wasn't done in the past except for, like, you know, certain guys. So so that's why I voted for him. And, that's, that's why, and again, that's what I voted. That was my thoughts. You know, I, I've spent uh, 46 years, a lot of that time, covering baseball. Uh, it, it takes 10 years to cover, uh, to get a baseball writer's card, 10 years of a baseball writer's card to get a vote. I've had it for quite a while. If you don't like my vote, go out, get a job, become <laughs> a baseball right. writer, you know, and then you get your vote. And that's I right. I don't rip other guys for their votes. You know, they, no, that it. that's what makes this fun. I mean, we got to get back where there's no, you know, analytics has been about seeking the truth. And I remember many, when I started doing independent media people said well people are starting blogs and stat stat sites because they're seeking the truth i'm like no they're looking for work and guess what they got and god bless them but don't tell me you know absolute truth on the hall of fame or anything is hard to come by what will be interesting kevin is next year you've got a rod and and david ortiz and forget the steroids a rod is is obviously a hall of famer if you take the steroids out ortiz falls into the same argument as I've evolved in my thought process of players, I feel like there has to be some both sides of the ball component uh, to their game. Not They don't have to be good defensively because, look, Manny Ramirez and Gary Sheffield were not. Um, but with Ortiz, I think he was so elite at that position and so clutch. And, you know, whether it's media generated or not, he was, you know, a presence. 
that he's a Hall of Famer. I know there's the rumors about steroids back on that testing from 2003, but there's a lot of guys in the Hall of Fame that fall into that. So how do you feel those two guys? Because that's A-Rod's going to be really interesting because he's got yeah. this suit baseball. People don't like him. It's going to be really interesting. Yeah, A-Rod becomes the new Bonds and Clemens, you know, and he's going to probably suffer through that for many years. Um, Poppy will get in. Um, and there are some questions because, you know, you know, how did he turn it all around? I think he, um, you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of questions with Poppy, but I think right. he's got, he's, there's so much goodwill that he generated through his career that most writers are just going to look at it and vote. Yes. I'm actually toying with this next year, Mike. And cause I, like I said, I find it interesting. And, let, and like you said, let's make it interesting. I'm actually touring next, uh, uh, you know, I'm touring with the idea next year of saying the hell with it. It's the 10th year. I'm going to, I may go all steroids next year. Both Bonds, <laughs> Clemens, Poppy, A-Rod, you know, get them all. And, and, and Manny, get them all up there. Let them all do speeches. Let's hear what they got to say. And, and that's your steroid era in one fell swoop. You know, right. and, and I love the idea that I put in my column today about Hank Aaron, what Hank Aaron told me years ago. And, and, you know, up in Hall of Fame, uh, he said, you know, let's put an asterisk on their on their plaque, you know, and, and, you know, yeah. and that yada, 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 that these guys were questioned about blah, blah, blah. I, if they if they get in, because Hank, one thing about Hank, he was very good saying, you know what? I go by the rules. If the writers vote him in, they're in. I'm not going to worry about it. Uh, right. th- that's why I want to see it thrown in, in some ways. I want to see it thrown in the lap of the Hall of Famers and let them vote these guys in. But I'm also toying with that idea next year of like, you know what? I've had enough. I'm going to vote for all the steroid guys. That'll make a great show. And uh, and then they're all in and, and they're all in in one year and, and we move on. I don't think you're going to get a Hall of Famer this year. If you go by the uh, Robbie, Ryan Thibodeau site with about 40% of the reported vote, shillings a shade below. Typically the numbers, it's almost like political polls now. When you the numbers go down as you get closer to the actual vote, right? Uh, so if well, he's you got to get the Rasmussen poll to get it accurate. Yeah, you got the Rasmussen Hall of Fame poll. That's right. Uh, Bonds and Clemens are at 70. I got to tell you, Kevin, I'm surprised they're that high. So a lot of people must be thinking like like you because they were no man's land. Now they're at 71, 72. It's close. And- they could get in. They could get in. But here's what, you, here, here's what we might be missing. The guys, that, the guys that don't vote for Bonds and Clemens, a lot of them aren't as ballsy as me and will come out and tell you why they're not voting for them. Right. They just don't deal with it, so they keep it quiet, and their vote comes in. Because don't forget, this you know, four hundred plus, I think it is. A lot of these guys are sports editors, assistant sports editors. They're right. in Iowa. They're here. They're there. But yep. maybe they're not going to the ballpark that much, right. and, and and they don't want to deal with it. Uh, I know. I won't mention the name, but I know a former sports editor I had. I know he has a vote. He'll never vote for these guys, and and he and he's a guy that votes usually. You got to be a real, you know top-of-the-line Hall of Famer for him to vote. So so with the remaining votes, a lot of these votes are going to come in negative on Bonds and Clemens. They may sneak in, you're right. I'm not saying mm-hmm. they couldn't, but I expect the numbers are going to... And the same thing now with Schilling. Schilling has become such a flashpoint. If you vote for Schilling now, all of a sudden, you know, you got a scarlet letter. And uh, and uh, so I think some people want, don't want to deal with that hassle, too. So I actually think it'll be the opposite for Schilling. He'll get more votes from people we don't that haven't made it public. I'll leave you with this uh, Hall of Fame weekend. If it actually happens, Schilling, Sheffield, uh, Bonds, Manny, <laughs> Kent, 
not exactly a media love affair with some of those guys. Uh, and look, let's face it, some of the guys that are having trouble, Kent is very low, and I understand the perception. And, and now when I looked at his numbers over a 10-year span, I put a couple of Mets years in there where he wasn't even playing second base. No, um, he's, he's a, he, to me, he's and he was a, and he was a, he was a t- you know, was a tough guy. I remember back then, he didn't really you know he was a cowboy that probably wasn't a New York guy. Let's face it. Um, but you know that's not exactly a media love affair. But it'd be interesting. We you know we started the segment. People could evolve. Maybe Jeff Kent's evolved. Maybe Manny Ramirez still loves playing baseball. You can't take that away from Kevin. I mean, the guy doesn't have to play for money. He's out there playing all these cookie leagues independent ball, whatever. Uh, Bonds has been angry for a variety of reasons. Doesn't like how his dad was treated, you know, racism and everything. I get it. Uh, Clemens, you know, that's a whole nother story. And it'll be interesting because Clemens gets in. Clemens Piazza goes front and center again. And uh, Piazza's going to get looped into that. You know that. And we're going to hear about that 52,000 times. So a lot of interesting things could happen that make for good debate. I guess I'll leave, I'll leave with that, that, that point. Yeah, and the other thing too, Mike, and I've seen it time and time again, for the, as far as the media personalities of these guys, I don't care. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I don't care about any of that. Um, and most writers, I don't think, care about that. They, they don't just because a guy may have dissed them, they're not going to not go for that. Used to happen in the old times a lot more. Right. I'll give you an example. Hank Aaron. How how was he not unanimous? You know, <laughs> Joe Dimaggio. How was Joe D not? How was yeah, Joe, Joe D not unanimous? What, say three four years. Mantle. Mantle, yeah. another one. I don't get it. I don't so, get so it. The media has been, you know, been a little goofy uh, throughout. But the other thing I've noticed with players, when it's time to say goodbye, that's when they learn to say hello. And, mm. uh, you know, and, and, and most of these guys, and I'm going to give you a great, a great example. Um, 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 you know, uh, the big Randy Johnson. Randy was tough in New York. He had the incident with the thing. I always got along well with Randy. I never had an issue with him. But when Randy became a Hall of Famer, and a Friday night, a Friday night, I'm lucky enough to go to the uh, the bar downstairs at the Otisaga Hotel. The Hall of Fame, you know, I love the Hall of Fame. I think those people up there do a great job, and I want to give them a plug right now. Um, it's a tough job, but they do a great job. Everybody in the Hall of Fame. Tim Mead is now the president, so good for him. Um, but I'm, I'm at their events, and, and I'll be sitting at the bar, and Randy Johnson will start talking. All of a sudden, he'll be showing me photos. He's a big photographer now. Yep. He'll be showing me mm-hmm. photos on his film, on his, on his phone, of these latest uh, big, lot of nature stuff, a lot of desert stuff. So his personality has evolved. Uh, uh, you know, maybe he had that same personality all the time, but we didn't know about it. And I think the same thing would happen. Clemens can be very charming. Uh, you know, uh, Bonds can be charming. I've always gotten along great with Bonds, and um, I heard uh, he's very smart. I heard he's a very smart baseball he's guy. Extremely smart, but here's what you got to do with challenge. You got to challenge Bonds. And one of these days on your show, I'm saving it for my book, but I'll, I'll give you an example of, um, of uh, you know, I challenged Bonds whenever I had to interview him, and he reacted to the challenge. And that's that's how you got to You got to be a psychologist in my job as well. So I never had, even recently, even recently, when he took over the Marlins hitting job, Myself and Bob Nightingale went to go see him the day before, thinking we'd get him at the Jupiter, and we did. He pops up out of his car, uh, and, uh, and he doesn't want to talk. He blows us off. But I, I, again, I do my homework. I know he's really into women's cycling, bicycle, you know, bicyclists. So I throw something out there about the women's cycling team. All of a sudden, he stops. We start talking. Boom, we get a great interview with him. You just got to gotta break through the ice. Right. So I think, and he has such respect for Willie Mays and those kind of players that uh, 
you know, he would be on his best behavior. He wouldn't do anything. Uh, you know, he, he, he's actually, my guess is, if he makes the Hall of Fame, you'll see the most charming Barry Bonds you've seen in your whole life. And uh, Interesting. so I don't think it'll be an issue, uh, you know, with, with us. Plus, every, the way everything is now, you know, the, yeah. there'll be Zoom call, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're Zooming ourselves into an oblivion. All right, what's coming up at Ball 9? At AMBS underscore Kernan. Ball nine, great website. Uh, we can check you out there. Yeah, you, I think you should have like a weekly monologue podcast. It'll be great. You could get all these little clips out there, Kevin. Uh, Mets fans need to grow up. You know, you know all these other things. What do you got coming up uh, so the listeners can know about? Well, I'm trying to. Uh, I'm trying to. Uh, I'm trying to talk Chris Vitale into doing a little bit more of a podcast situation because I think that is somewhere of the future. But uh, and you have I radio always... background. You have a radio yep. background out in San Diego. Yep. And, and, and I think people on the move now, I know when I do my walking or whatever, I'm, I'm listening to podcasts a lot now because you can't listen to the regular news anymore. I mean, you know, and you can't you can't listen to certain things. So I'm, I, I listen to things that really entertain or inform me. And um, all, all I can say is ball9.com. I write twice a week heavy-duty stories, 2,500 words. Every one is really good. I mean, they, I mean uh, we have baseball scouts. We have GMs. We have everybody – texting me when I'm I'm writing where baseball people love what I'm writing. Mm. So that tells you something. So I'm always going to come up with a good different angle. Maybe some are better than the others. Uh, and if you go to ball9.com and just look at the library, I don't even want to get into everything I've written because it, it, it almost exhausts me reading it, what I've written. Um, but for example, I have, uh, I hope to do it this week unless something else pops up like poor, you know, Hank, Hank Aaron died and I changed what I was going to do. But I'm going to do something on um, – I had a nice long conversation with Ron Darling this week about pitching. And uh, a, a simple exercise that he did that was taught to him by other veteran pitchers that passed through the Mets system kept him healthy. Of course, that exercise is out the window now because everything is, is different. So I talked at length with Ron Darling about pitching and baseball and, 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 and like uh, you mentioned earlier, I believe, you know, Ronnie's one of the most interesting people in the game. So I'm going to have a big Ron Darling piece this week. And when I say big Ron Darling, it's going to be all about baseball and stuff you didn't know and, and, and things like that. Plus fun. You know, I have a way of, uh, when I interview these guys, we have a great conversation. That's why, um, you know, that would, those would be phenomenal podcasts as well, but uh, maybe down the road in the future. So everything I do is going to be, I'm, another thing, I, I, you know, I'm going to, I, I talked to my uh, old buddy recently, Frank Russo. The, I <laughs> <laughs> Frank, it's character. We love Frank. I love listen I, I know Frank very well and that listen Frank Russo uh, on Facebook uh, this say you know he was banned from starting a group because he's very controversial so that's all you can say but Frank's well, a great we're, guy we're talking about his, uh, you know his his, his kind of like hobby <laughs> slash you know finding and I, I thought it would have just been in bad taste to run that column this week I haven't written it yet <laughs> <laughs> but we all the Hall of Famers dying. But Frank finds all these graves, you know. Yep. And, and he has he an does. unbelievable website. And uh, and and if, and you got to look at it from the perspective he's honoring these people, and that, that's yes. what I'm going. So yes. So I also have. Um, I, I I just talked recently to a relative of the guy with the shortest home run in baseball history, twenty four inches. Believe wow. it or not, the shortest inches. At, and again, all these are in the formula stations. You know, I, I keep a book and when I come up with an idea, I write it in my book and move forward. And 
I also recently just checked in with somebody whose father, again, different people give me different contacts. His father ran the cottages where the great Yankee team stayed over when they were on the West coast of Florida. Mm-hmm. And they would have like a stone crab dinner, you know, and things like that. And, you know, like, uh, and the guy was, a, a, you know, he ran the cottages and the hotel type thing. And, and back then it was totally different. You know, the players were on their own getting their stuff basically. And, and so a young Mickey Mantle knocks at his door one night and says, um, hi, I'm Mickey Mantle. And the guy doesn't know much about baseball. He goes, Oh, great. Uh, it might've been Mickey's first or second year. And he goes, he goes, what base do you play? So, you know, so uh, imagine getting stories about what it was really like for the 50s and 60s for those Yankees. So those are some of the things in the uh, hopper. We'll see what comes out. Well, listen, you are very generous with your time. You've been always a good friend. I always enjoy catching up with you. I enjoy reading your stuff. Uh, Be well. Let's do this again soon, and I'll be checking out Ball 9. I'll be encouraging listeners to do it as well, my friend. All righty? All right, Kevin. Take care. Be well, my friend. Take care. And that's Kevin Kernan. You can check him out on Twitter at AMBS underscore Kernan, Ball 9. Good stuff. You're getting a lot of bonus coverage today. So if you want a lot of Mike Silva talking Mets podcast and a lot of Mike Silva, you got it today. All right, let's take a quick break. Wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We're back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Uh, Great stuff out of Kevin Kernan. Hope you enjoyed it. And we've gone well over an hour, so I'm going to wrap up. I know I owe a ton of shout-outs to a bunch of people. Humbling, beautiful, so nice uh, comments, feedback, Twitter, Apple Podcasts. I'm going to get to it get to it on the next show i promise uh who knows how quickly uh the free agency game plays the whole bauer situation might be stale by uh you know an hour after this goes out i know brad hand is out there and there may be some decisions coming so anyway i want to thank kevin kernan check out bowl nine at ambs underscore kernan on twitter you're missing out if you're not following kevin of course you could check me out all the time at the talkingmetspodcast.com you could send me a tweet at mike silva media and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another podcast pretty soon. Till then, take care, everybody.
Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.